0: This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground then the lord god formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being now the lord god had planted a garden in the east in eden and there he put the man he had formed the lord god made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering a garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon, it, wind, it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon, it winds through the entire land of Gush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks.
1: Well, good morning. this is the last of our series on stewardship, and uh, I've been given a little title. It's a very simple title, really, to take care of it, um, as, as if that's a fairly simple issue to cover in 20 or so minutes. You know. And uh, there's one or two issues. I, I, I started doing some digging on this. Uh, as my wife will tell you, I've been digging half the week. Uh, and the World Council of Churches have come up with some of the issues that there are in the world today, pollution the waste from our cars, our factories and our homes. Overpopulation, the number of the people in this world will soon break the six million barrier. How many more people can our world hold? Energy wastage, the USA uses over a hundred times the energy per person than the developing world. Chemicals and pesticides, these are killing off certain parts of the insect chain, causing the emergence of superbugs. Have you had enough? I'm only halfway through. Deforestation, there are less than 20% of the world's forests left. Desertification. In Roman times, much of North Africa was used for the growing of grain. Now it is the Sahara Desert. Overfarming and poor husbandry have turned a de- considerable portion of the world into useless desert. The ozone layer, now at its thinnest ever. The food chains. Killing off the food chain by the overuse of chemicals and pesticides means the death of the rest of that chain. Species, extinction, overfishing, overfarming, deforestation, and so on. Shall we go home? Is there an answer? Is there a a theology? Is there a way of looking at at this as Christians? Because that's all primarily I'm interested in. Uh, And that is, is is there something here which can uh, help us and establish us, take care of it, last of this series, as I say. The biggest issue facing us today, isn't it? Probably. I mean, Brexit's dominated recently, but surely it's the issue that our young people think that we've made a pretty bad deal on. Our young people will tell us we have not done well here. Or I'm talking when I say we, I'm meaning my generation. And when I started preparing this, I, I really had to chuckle. Tackling an issue like this in 20 minutes from a non-expert is interesting. But there, I'll do what I can, and if it points you, and if you want to disagree with me, all I'd say, do it lovingly, all right? And don't beat me up at the end of it. So I'll do what I can, and let's, if it raises some issues, uh, let's see. I wonder, I wonder where you sit on this. Uh, there's, there's so many different sort of levels of opinion. Uh, maybe you're sort of disgusted of Winchester type, you know. Uh, and when you drive up the A34, as I often do, and you go out of the service station and there's rubbish chucked because somebody's finished their lunch and they lob it out the window. And you think that's disgusting all over the side of the road. Well, I can only suggest to you that if you think that's bad, walk around number one course at the end of play. And you can't. Because of everything that people have left there. Twickenham's even worse. Maybe to you uh, you're one of these people that says, "Well this summer feels like last summer, so what are we panicking about? you know feels about the same temperature, about the same level. so why are we worried? Maybe you are in fact a passionate campaigner about the environment and, and the issues within it, and you read widely and you'd very happily stand somewhere and protest. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're doing everything you can in terms of recycling and saving energy. And you have a a sort of strategy within your house to to do that and in your life. Um, Maybe you don't do much because, after all, what's one extra four-pint carton of Tesco milk? You know, chuck it out, forget it. What difference does that make? Uh, Maybe you're like the leader of the free world who considers, and this is a quote, that global warming is a hoax Or he did say that when he was campaigning in a coal mining area, and I checked that out. And my favorite quote was a recent one, uh, where somebody said, don't laugh, please don't laugh. Um, We shouldn't be surprised, ice is falling off glaciers. It's summer, and it gets warmer, and ice melts. Yeah? All, All I want to say is, well, stick a little stick in and measure it, you know, and you'll see you get a different answer to that one. But we are not here to argue stats, and you folks can get home and get on your computers and and dig out everything that you want to dig out on this. That's not my primary purpose here, to to, to do that, but to discover if there is a biblical perspective on how we deal with this issue as Christians, um, because the whole world is talking about it, and therefore it's vital that we as Christians have an apologetic to put before the world. In other words, we don't let the green agenda dominate. We have an agenda. We have something to say which is biblical and right and good and true. I'll just take you through very basic headings on this. The first one may seem obvious, but we need to establish this. Otherwise, we get it wrong. The first one is that God is the creator. That's where we begin with any Christian discussion on environmental issues. We start there. Psalm 90 verse 2, before the mountains were born, you brought forth the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before that, God was loving his son, John 1, 1 17, 5. You can find all these references. I'll give them if you, at the end if you want them. Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. That's the eternal God backwards, as it were, with his son. He was also making his plans, Ephesians 1:11. God was planning and, and putting into place his plan. God's world has a beginning. Psalm 102 verse 25, in the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth. That comes right the way through the Old Testament, that idea, that doctrine of creation. Creation is not an accident. It is not inevitable. It is not a necessity. All those are important. Creation is a God choice It's a deliberate act of a creator God. It's what God said, I am going to do. And it was for his glory. Psalm 19 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And what was created was good. How do we know that? It's repeated all the way through Genesis 1. And it was good. So that's the creation. And it's now been damaged by the sinful act of the fall, but it is still intrinsically good. What God put in place is still there and can be seen and observed. He is still there because God is not an absentee landlord. He sustains the universe, Psalm 104, Colossians 1, 7. In him all things hold together. He still rules the universe, Daniel 4. His dominion is an eternal dominion. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven. And he has the ultimate plan to move the universe forward to its ultimate goal, which will be in Revelation 21 when the holy city will be there and we will be there dwelling with him in the air. It's what somebody called an Eden upgrade. But that's what it'll be like in the end. And for the Christian, any discussion of the attitude we should have to the created order to take care of it starts here The centrality of God. The world was made by God for us to enjoy. Its beauty. Its variety. Its patterns. Uh, I never tire, and I shall be there, I hope, tomorrow night. Uh, Don't get jealous. But watching the waves of Cornwall. I I never tire of it. I can stand on the clifftops in Cornwall or on the beach and watch waves until, oh, the Lord returns, I guess. You know, I, I could just... I'm fascinated by them. And we have a little book in our, our caravan. It's riveting reading. It's full of numbers. It's called Tide Tables. It's absolutely riveting. Totally. Real. Every now and again I look at it and I think, wow, well, this is interesting. Let me read. And it says, high tide today will be at 1721. How do we know? Because God is not an absentee landlord. He's created a beautiful pattern and structure that is totally predictable. I'll take you out if you come to my caravan into the night and we'll look at a star. And I'm not good at this. I can't do it, but it sounds good. It sounds very, very intellectual. And you can go out and say, give me a star. I'll tell you where it will be on July the 28th, 2028. Why? Because God has created this immense, amazing universe. And it doesn't make me worship the creation. Don't go there, please. Don't do that. It's something which says, there is a God. And it drives us to worship the God who made it all. And he has sustained it, so its structure is predictable. So in any discussion, we must start there. Any failure to do anything different will get you in trouble. And get you campaigning or shouting about things, and you haven't put them on a theological basis. Let's move on. Secondly, man. The pinnacle of God's creation. All of creation has value, not because we like it, but because God made it. Now, I like waves. I like mountains. Other people, I guess, like green meadows and things like that. And we like it, not because we campaign or or think about it. We like it because God made it, and it is beautiful, and it is perfect. The rock, the tree, the cat, even the snake deserve our respect. Not because we like them, but because God made them. Do you see it? It's a big shift, actually. Um, When I hear people campaigning about the rights of animals, uh, I I sometimes think that they're thinking about their particular animal. Well, good luck to them. We need people who do that kind of thing to preserve and protect species that are being threatened. Of course we need that. But why? It is because God made that creation. He spoke it into being. Let there be, and there was. And therefore we must preserve. Not just the, you know, the gorgeous big animals and we all think, oh, lion, beautiful, you know, striding along like this. You know, What a gorgeous animal. But the lesser ones we can't see. And the ones that we're destroying. And the ones that we're taking out. Because God made them. I sometimes struggle, by the way, with the fact that God made snakes. I don't know about you, but I do. Uh, That's not my favorite bit of God's creation. When I see one in a cage, I want to say, you stay there, pal, because I don't want to go near you. But that's not the issue. But man, my friends, is different. Here you may disagree. You can argue with me afterwards if you like. Chemically, we are very little different. We are creatures of a creator. Dust to dust, Genesis 3.19. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. There are organs in our bodies which resemble those in other animals. Hang in there with me. Stick with it. You're doing well, okay? Francis Schaeffer said this. This should not amaze us, as we live in the same environment. And if it functions well in one, why change it for another? I love Schaeffer's argument there. It's beautiful, isn't it? God saw man as part of creation, and therefore we shouldn't be surprised that many animals function anatomically in a similar way to to the way we do. We're in the narrative. But it is clear. It is clear from the Genesis account that we are different. And what makes that clear is one little phrase about man. And bury this at your peril. Made in God's image. That is so vital to the whole of Scripture. Scripture. Uh, I'd love to spend about five hours with you sometime saying how crucial these early chapters of Genesis are in formulating the way Scripture grows and develops. Absolutely fundamental. And it's clear from the Genesis account that this is different. And that implies God has created us with his mark, with his characteristics. We are distinctive. Now, I spent a lot of time digging around this one, uh, and I've summarized it in four, but there are many, many others that I came up with. But this is what one writer said. One writer said that man's distinctive qualities are his moral consciousness, his ability to think abstractly, his understanding of beauty and emotion, and the capacity for worshiping and loving God. That's what it's like to be in the image of God. We have moral consciousness, ability to think abstractly, understanding beauty and emotion, and the capacity for worshipping and loving God. Now, I see a lot of television programs which suggest that some animal behavior is very human. And of course, again, going back to Schaefer's statement, we shouldn't be surprised at that. Because there are many things that animals do which will pick they'll pick up or... or innate to their own behavior patterns and I check that out as well most importantly you will not find in any other creature that cocktail that I read through to you and it's much bigger than that which makes man and I'm using man generically I hope that's okay it doesn't offend anybody Um, we have within us the attributes of the giver that's what it means to be made in the image of God have you ever thought about that? How precious and wonderful that is that we are made in God's image. And to find those characteristics in any other creature, you would be hard pressed to find them. So we are special. And therefore, when we rule and have dominion over God's creation, we rule because we have the image of God. Imago Dei. We are special. And therefore, we should not be surprised that we are in that position. Thirdly, very quickly on this one, the, the fall. We must do that. Uh, we're, we're waiting, of course, for the, the, the complete consummation of creation one day. But the essence of the fall is man's disobedience. Uh, and that's, that's been enough said about. That, that caused a kink in creation. It caused creation to be degraded. It caused the, the curse That that was inflicted on the ground and all these kind of things I haven't got time to go into this morning But it but it clearly shows that it's not right now Let's leave it at that. It's not quite right. It's gone wrong. So what is man's role? Let's get on to that Well, it's been variously described and the passage that Mike read to us had a couple of them in and and there are many others within The Bible which talk about this. There's, There's the idea of stewardship there's the idea of subduing Uh, Subduing implies there's something to subdue. In other words, there's a problem, which confirms the idea that creation is jarred. And and then there's the idea of care and control, and finally, the idea of dominion. Now, I worry about dominion, and it's been abused over the years. Christians have sometimes done this, um, and they've been accused by the secular uh, lobby in, in the environmental areas, of of saying, well, we're the created order, we're the highest of creation, we can do what we like with the resources that there are. And there are Christians who have expressed that view over the years. Um, There are people, therefore, who can say we can chop trees down as much as we like because it's our world, we have dominion over it. Now, that is a complete misreading of what this really is ideal that it should be. And I'm beginning to learn this. I must confess this for me is a learning curve. My wife will tell you this, that she's way ahead of me on the learning curve. She should be doing this this morning, not me. Uh, And I'm beginning to pick it up. But I'm building it on what I built with you this morning, that God is sovereign, God is great, God made it. I am a man, I am different to the created order, and I must act, therefore, in the way that God has asked me to do. So our job is, here's the big bit, is to preserve as much as we can of what God has created and to keep it as good as we can. Our job, and I found this statement roughly in about five sources, Christians who were writing on this, our job is to preserve as much as we can of what God has created and to keep it as good as we can. So we recycle, not because we're proud of our blue-lid dustbin, Uh, I hope you are proud of your blue-lid dustbin, Uh, but we recycle because uh, we're part of a campaign to do what we can for God. It's in obedience to God that we do it. There's the basis of it. That's the the reason for why we do the things we're doing. We're we're doing good stewardship. And good stewardship is in obedience to God, unlike what happened in the garden, which was disobedience to God. You heard it read to you. when, When Adam and Eve said, hey, we know better, which is what happened in the fall. Did God really say, surely not? No. And there's the beginning of sin. And so when we recycle, when we do the things we do, Don't get self-righteous about it. Just say, I'm doing what God told me to do. Obey him. To do what God wants me to do. Our dominion gives us no authority to exploit and overuse resources, whether that be fossil fuels or whether it be sweat workers who provide our clothing and feed Marks and Spencers. We have no right over that. What are the practical outcomes? I told you this was going to be hard, didn't I? Are you still there? Hang in there. I'm nearly there. Practical outcomes. What I really hope is for a redefinition, maybe in some of your hearts and minds, a real theology centered on God when you come up against this issue of environmental care of the planet. That you simply say, God, you made a brilliant planet. You put me in it. You love me. You died for me. You have plans and purposes for me. So hear this well. In God's name, look after it. In God's name, look after it. And understanding this leads us, I think, to the best definition of of all this, and that's the idea of stewardship. Gamekeeper, I heard it once called. You know, a gamekeeper doesn't own the estate, but boy, is he proud of it. He goes and mends the fences. He looks after the pheasants. You know, he tends the deer. Not that I've ever lived in one place like this, you understand. But, uh, you know, that's what a gamekeeper does, a steward. He cares. He looks after. And we don't just do God, you see, for our own personal salvation, however vital that is. Our faith is in a God of creation. It drives us to do what we can do, to reverse the damage being done to our planet. So we don't adopt the idea that saying, oh, it's only one car. And what difference does that make? When you do it, you're doing it in obedience to the God who made you and who made the planet. So this is when I get excited about it because I've got a theology. I've got a basis. I've got a relationship with God. I've got God telling me to do something, not just because I'm part of a campaign. And that's often been the struggle for me, I must confess. And It may appear like the drop in the ocean of a plastic wasteland. your response in your heart and mind and life is what matters that's what matters it's all part of the same deal of how we should be living so our response to the, the planet and the care of it is a response which says God you're my God you made me, you love me so let's not squander resources because as God has given us those resources for our good And we are stewards of those resources. We look after them in obedience to him because he made them. So you you find things, and I I started digging around about, is there anything about animals and caring for animals? And can I find anything in the Bible about that? Well, there's lots, actually. Leviticus 25, 1 to 5 actually highlights the need for the land to have rest from food production. Intensive farming is bad stewardship. It's in the Bible. It's not me making it up. Deuteronomy 25.4 tells us to look after domestic animals well. Look after your ox. Now, if you've got an ox in your garden, make sure you look after it, all right? Um, but whatever your animal is, look after it. That's what it says. Deuteronomy 22.6 encourages us to have respect for wildlife. That's there. And we never worship the creation because the creation points to the creator. So let's take personal action in our own space, let's do what we can to look after what God has put in our orbit where we can. We can't change policies on the disposal of plastics. We can campaign for it. We can argue for it. We can lobby for it. But practically, most of us here can't change it. But we can change our little bit, can't we? We can change where we go. When Adam was put in the garden, He was given specific instructions, Genesis 2.15, to dress it and keep it. Now, when you dress something in that context, it's to make it look beautiful. Now, she's going to be acutely embarrassed by this, but my wife and I spent yesterday in the garden. We now have a beautiful pathway, which is so clean and gorgeous. It's unbelievable. I spent the afternoon squirting water at it. It was wonderful. Um, But the garden looks gorgeous because she's cared for it. She's dressed it. And as I was preparing, as I looked out, and there she was dressing it, making it look beautiful. And and that's what God has asked us to do, to restore God's world in as far as we are able to the way he made it. Yes, glaciers are melting. Don't believe that rubbish I said at the beginning. They are going down the drain. That's serious. That will raise the water. That causes polar bears problems for their feeding habits and so on. Las Vegas, in its indulgent self, will soon run out of water because it's so busy consuming it, it doesn't look. Sea pollution is accelerating, so beach cleans are important. When I travelled with some schoolboys in the 90s, uh, it was a game, I confess, at first, and then we realised how serious it was. We were on the SS Uganda. You remember that thing that went to the Falklands? We were traveling on it, and we were going up the North Sea. And um, my colleague was with me, said, Dave, he said, "Um, every time I look out, there's something in the sea. And so we used to go out on the deck every day and say, can we have a, a bit of sea which is free of a bit of garbage? And we never did. And my friends, that was 1995, about, six, somewhere around there it's much worse now see that program on the galapagos all the plastic that got washed up and we look at those pictures of seabirds don't we full of plastic in their stomachs and what's our response that is wrong because god made that bird and therefore let's do what we can to make sure we're not part of that and uh, On a final glorious note, this is only for a season. And this is the Christian perspective that you've got to put in this here. It's only until he comes. Do you believe that? Do you really? Do you believe that the Lord Jesus is going to return? And I'm going to be with him in the air. I hope you are too. If you know and love him, you will be. But creation is going to get redeemed as well. The groaning will, fe- will cease. The groaning creation will be no more, because God will wipe away every tear. So does that mean we sit back as Christians until He comes back? Oh, come on! Let's leave that stinking world over there. Let's let it get on with what it's doing. Yeah, let's just leave it. And no, we prepare that world as best we can for the return of a triumphant Savior who will take you to be with Him forever. So we don't ignore it. We do what we can to honour the God of a majestic creation who made the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And to his name be the glory and the praise. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, this is massive, and it's not for me to be prescriptive about what any of my friends here should do about it. And I've deliberately tried not to do that. But, Lord, whatever it is we need to do, help us do it. Whatever it is we need to address, help us to address it. Whatever we can do to bring glory to the name of the Father who made the heavens and the earth. And from eternity past to eternity future is in relationship with the son who died for me and rose again and has ascended gloriously. And the God who has given me his Holy Spirit to live for him day by day and to have proper dominion and stewardship over the world that he made. Lord, help me to exercise that with dignity and respect and perhaps in ways that I haven't done so far that that creation may be better seen by those who know nothing of it. So please, Lord, help this to be a wonderful piece of evangelism, that as Christians care for and love the planet that God made, others will say, who is this God? Who is he? And they might have faith in him because of it. In his name we pray. Amen.